So let's just pray as we go over the word this morning. Amen. Mara, Michael, we're going to pray. Amen. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the word of truth, Father. The times we live in, there's so much about perspective and different truths and different things, Lord, but I thank you for the truth in Jesus' name. I pray that this morning we will be liberated, educated and equipped through your word for every good work in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, we are on part three of our series on the book of Esther. So, we saw the first, uh, first week uh, Esther came into being, this orphan girl. We saw how King Xerxes was married to Queen Vashti and all what happened there. So last week we saw how Esther's godly character and obedience and willingness to submit to God bought her favour. And in this day and age, especially Christians, everyone begging for favour, favour, favour. You hear conference, come and receive the favour of God and they, they bang the doors down on anything to get favour. But favour is earned through faithfulness, through obedience, through integrity and that's how you get the favour. You win favour. Grace is unmerited because of Jesus Christ. You just get grace by the bucket load and there's nothing you can do about it and you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. It's the grace of God. But favour is something we have to pursue. And favour, we saw with Esther, she earned that favour favour through faithfulness, obedience and commitment to what she was called to do. And if we will do things in excellence for God, we will receive favour. And excellence doesn't mean to, to say in uh, earthly terms the best or the highest quality. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you've got. That is excellence. You know, my children, when they were little, they used to draw me a picture and say, it's a house. And I think, no, it's spaghetti bolognese on a plate. That's not a house. But you know what? It was excellent because they were doing the best they could. Amen? And God receives our excellence as wonderful. And so we thought, if you want excellence in church life, in business, in family life, in whatever, then honour God and be faithful with what he gives you. Be faithful in relationships. Be faithful and be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? So we see that she was willing to be obedient, and she won favour with God and man. And we saw the scripture where Jesus was obedient to Mary and Joseph and it says he won favour with God and man as well. This was celebrated across all 120 provinces of the kingdom. We also saw that Esther's uncle Mordecai on the scene and how he support and advised Esther. And Esther was obedient to the advice. And we've said this so many times, how many times do you give advice to people and they go, yeah, 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 and go out and go the complete opposite of everything they've just agreed to on receiving advice. And so she took the advice that she was given. So we're going to carry on this week, Esther chapter 2 verse 19, Esther chapter 2 verse 19. When the virgins were assembled for the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do so, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instruction as she had done when he was bringing her up. So just because she's now an adult... She doesn't think, well, I'm an adult, I've got my own, I'm doing my own thing, I'm not listening to you anymore. She remains listening to the advice that Mordecai gives her. And sometimes <coughs> we can get frustrated because we want to do something, okay? We want to do something, we want to go somewhere or whatever it is, and sometimes God blocks you <coughs> through different ways or means. 
Sometimes it might be your boss stops you from doing something and you're frustrated. But don't forget, God is sovereign and there's a bigger picture. And sometimes God will stop you doing some of the little things you want to do because he has a bigger picture and a bigger part for you to play. Sometimes. And sometimes we just want to run out and do our thing and so on and so forth. And we're impatient. We won't wait. But if we're patient, we'll see what God has in store for us. A bit like a footballer, you might have a big match coming up and there's a, a training session and the coach turns out, the, the, the striker, one of the star players, he wants to be in the training session, he wants to get ready, but the boss, the manager, turns around and says, no, Frank, I want you to sit out of this session. And he says, yeah, but I want to practice, I want to show what I can do, blah, blah, blah. But the manager says, no, now's not the time. And what he's doing is preserving him for the big match that week. He doesn't want him to pick up an injury. But the impatient Frank is just feeling rejected and going to sulk now for the rest of the time. I don't want to play at all then. And he fails to see that the manager has a bigger plan for Frank. Amen? And sometimes we can be the same. We get frustrated or impatient. and We miss out on the bigger plans that God might have for us. Timing is important. Daniel had wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact. Wisdom is the answer to the problem. And the tact is the timing that you give the wisdom. And sometimes we give the wisdom, the right information, but we've given it at the wrong time. So you've got to have wisdom and tact. You've got to know when to share and when not to share. Amen? So we saw last week, Esther concealed her Jewish family background. Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, it said. This means that Mordecai, her uncle, had an official position, okay? The, the gate of the city in ancient times was basically the elders' offices. That's where the elders sat, and they sat at the gate of the city, and they would see all the coming and goings on. And we see that Mordecai was sat at the king's gate. Maybe he'd been promoted because he was now the queen's uncle. So maybe he got a promotion. But whatever it was, Mordecai is recognised and he's given position, and now he is sitting at the king's gate. So if you want promotion in life, use wisdom, whether it's in the church or in the world. It's just reality. Use wisdom. Fulfill the word of God. Show the gifts of the Spirit. Show yourself wise and the doors of favour uh, open up ahead of you. And sometimes we, we don't understand why am I being overlooked? Why didn't God give me that opportunity with that person. Why didn't God open the door for me? Why didn't? And what happens is, could we assume we blame everybody else? Oh, it's everybody else's fault. No, it's because you won't be committed. It's your fault. Stop pointing the fingers at everybody else. Or because you're always late at work. You, you turn up late for work, day in and day out, and then you wonder why you don't get the promotion. And we blame other people. Oh, it's not fair, they're against me, they don't like me. No, you just are late for work all the time. And if you cannot show yourself faithful in the little things, why did God put you in charge of the bigger things? You show yourself faithful first in the broom cupboard, and then you might be faithful with the throne. But if you won't be faithful in the broom cupboard, you can't be trusted with the throne. Amen? Esther was faithful, she was obedient, and doing whatever Mordecai told her. She trusted Mordecai. She trusted him. She wasn't suspicious, thinking, oh, why won't he promote me? Why is he not doing this? Why is he not doing that? What? She trusted his love for her. Amen? And sometimes you've got to get rid of a bit of mistrust in life. Give people the benefit of the doubt. We have to trust God. 
You have to trust God. Sometimes you've, got, you've heard this saying, you've got to let go and let God. Have you heard that saying? Let go and let God. Amen? And sometimes you've got to trust God. Not try and work it out ourselves. Often we're trying to work it out by ourselves. But sometimes you've just got to say, I can't work it out. I'm just going to let you, Lord. And just step away from it. You know? So often we can realise the actual fact that we don't trust God as, as much as we think we do. We think we really, really trust God. But when push comes to shove, not always quite like that, but our trust in God will grow, not when he shows himself faithful to his word, because that's irrelevant. Our trust in God will grow when we surrender to who he says he is. Whether he performs a miracle in my life is not the basis of my trust or relationship with God. That is not the basis. The basis of my trust and relationship with God is simply this. He's God and I'm not. End of story. That's the way the cookie crumbles. If your trust with God is based on good happenings, bad happenings, good day, bad day, all that sort of stuff, you will be up and down like a roller coaster in your relationship with God because it's based on what you're getting out of it. When you get past the relationship point of what you're getting out of it and your relationship is based upon who he is, enough. That's called maturity. And you won't go up and down all the time. Amen? So Esther 2 verse 21 During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officers were hanged on the gallows. All this is recorded in the books of the annals, in the presence of the king. So don't deal with the situation in anger. The two royal officials became angry. They became angry. And they sinned in their anger. The scripture doesn't say, never become angry. You're going to be angry in life, especially if you drive as good as me and everybody else drives really bad. Okay? Because they do. I've seen, I've seen it. I've been out on the road yesterday. I had Mara in the car with me. I said, Mara, please, for the love of God, what is wrong with other human beings? Why can they not drive? And you can get angry about different things in life, but it says do not sin in your anger. And sometimes we, we try not to have emotions. I mustn't be angry, I mustn't be sad, I mustn't be frustrated. And we think as Christians, we, no, that's all a part of your makeup. Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin. Jesus mourned, but he didn't, he didn't uh, move into unbelief. And sometimes we can forget that. So the two royal officials sinned in their anger. Now isn't it amazing that God had placed Mordecai at the king's gate so that he could be there for such a time that he's going to hear a conversation about an assassination of the king. So it's all, God got it all in hand. You know, uh, the only thing I, uh, I say, for God, it must be boring. Because he knows. He knows the beginning from the end. And he knows everything. All what people are doing. And he places Mordecai in the perfect position to hear the other officials preparing to assassinate him. To assassinate the king. Now, Mordecai could have turned around and said, well, I'm Jewish, and the king is pagan. So, you know, if somebody tops him, if somebody kills him, what a shame. Nothing to do with me. Not my responsibility. I'm not Persian, I'm Jewish. 
I mean, if he, if he falls off a cliff accidentally, I mean, it's not my fault. And he tried, he doesn't try and turn away from the basic responsibility of human nature, the basic responsibility to do what's right. Do what's right in the situation. Stand up for those who have no voice. Stand up against the, the, those who are oppressed. Support people. Do what's right in the situation. You haven't got to be conservative or Labour or the waving loony Green Party. Just do what's right, you know? Although I've got to say, my patients are being tested with this uh, oil group, chucking their paint everywhere and mucking everything up all the time. If I saw them laying in the road, I would have thought, oh, another speed bump, there you go. No, no, I wouldn't. I would, I would be good. I would be good. I would stop and I would phone Ricky. I'd say, Ricky, come and help me. I think I've just gone over an orange speed bump. No. But Mordecai does what's right. He doesn't lean on cultural differences, which we see in this day and age. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't lean on cultural differences. He does what's right. It's a little bit like in 1 Peter chapter 2, 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Amen? So you've got to love each other. Not a choice. You've got to love each other. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honour the emperor. Some translations say honour the king. See, and what Mordecai was doing, he was honouring the king in that situation. Now, the amazing thing is, it's believed in 465 BC, King Xerxes was actually murdered due to a coup, a rebellious coup, which was arranged by his own prime minister. Yeah. Esther showed her integrity. Why? because she didn't try and take the credit. She gave the credit to Mordecai. She could have gone in and said, oh, I found this information out, this, that, and the other. Ta-da! Get another brownie point. Give me a medal. You know? Do you remember watching that cartoon when you were young, Wacky Racers, and you had Dick Daskerfly, and you had the dog Muttley? Remember that dog Muttley? And he just wanted a medal all the time, and he wouldn't save his owner unless he got a medal. You know, and sometimes people are like that. They've got to take all the credit. They want the medal. But Esther is not there to take the credit. And Esther gives credit to who credit is due. And it's so, so, so important that she did it. If she didn't do that simple little principle, the Jewish nation could have been wiped out later on. Just through that one little principle, give credit where it's due. It was Mordecai, and she told the king it was Mordecai who had found out what was going on. She remained humble. Humble. How, you know, you get some people have got a reason to be proud, but yet they walk in humility. You get other people, they've got no reason to proud, but they're so up themselves, you can't see where they start and where they end. Because they're so full of pride, you know? But she, who had every reason to be full of pride, she remains humble. Really humble. The thing that has amazed me and Ricky, we've worked with lots of addicts over the years, helping them sin and set free. And it's amazing how many addicts, once they've got free from addiction, got a house, got a job, got stable relationships, then will not help anyone from where they came from. They're below them suddenly. True, Vic? We've seen it so many times. It amazes me. But Esther remains humble. God sometimes will keep you in a position, not because you're not capable of the next step, but he will hold you in that position because it will go to your head. And you'll blow it. It's not that you can't do the job. You could do it but he will hold you where you are because the pride will ruin you. Because you'll get in that position, all of a sudden that's it. You know? All of a sudden you're, yeah, exactly. 
And sometimes you, we look to blame everything else. Sometimes we've got to look to ourselves. We find out the answers. So it was important that the matter was investigated and found out to be true or false. That's what scripture says. They investigated it. They didn't give in to rumour. They didn't listen to rumour, although they had it on good authority. They checked it out. Is this true? Has this really happened? And they investigated the situation first before making a decision. Esther 3 verse 1, Esther 3 verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than all of the other nobles. nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Now it's believed that Haman was a descendant, now bear with me on this bit, you'll get it, Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites. Okay? Mordecai was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, so the same tribe as King Saul. King Saul had been told by God to kill all the Amalekites and wipe them out. And he captured the king, King Agai. But the prophet Samuel killed King Agai because uh, the prophet had to kill him, King uh, Samuel, because Saul had spared him and was disobedient. God told Saul, he said, when you get the Amalekites, when they come, kill them all and kill the king. Do away with all of them. But he didn't, and he spared the king. And the prophet had to come in and he rebuked King Saul and said, what's wrong with you? You were told to kill King Agai, and you've not. And he killed him. Now, if you trace it back, Mordecai is a descendant of Saul. And Haman's a descendant of King Agai. So you've got a major problem historically now. Okay? And sometimes we don't see before beyond face value. Sometimes you've got to look beyond that and suddenly you see there's, there's actually a problem here. Now while the scripture isn't clear exactly why Mordecai refused to bow before him, we can see that Mordecai would not view Haman as a man of honour. So verse 3. The royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated. For he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learnt who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai and instead Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, he could have just killed Mordecai and had done with it. But when he finds out Mordecai is a Jew, that changes the picture now. Suddenly, killing Mordecai is not enough. He wants to wipe out every Jewish person in 127 provinces. Provinces. That's what he wants to do. Now you can see who's behind this. You can see the hand of Satan trying to wipe out the Jewish people yet again. Remember a few weeks ago we did that preach about the ancestral line of Jesus and how it was always coming under attack. And again we see what is behind this. And sometimes in life, especially in relationships, you've got to look beyond face value, say, what's behind this person's behaviour? I'm not always saying it's Satan. Sometimes some people are just not nice people. 
But sometimes you've got to look, what's behind, is it insecurity? Is it jealousy? Is it just hatred? What's the cause? What's the root that causes this person? Are they insecure? What is it as to why they act the way they do? Because otherwise you're always dealing with everyone's symptoms and you're never dealing with the cause. You're just dealing with the manifestation and you're not dealing with the root. If your wife is giving you a hard, uh, uh, hot tongue and cold shoulder all the time, find out the root why she's ticked off. Don't just think, oh, miserable old cow, I'm going out. Yeah, I know, we've got to stay at home. No, we've got, but do you know what I mean? Sometimes you've got to work out what, what is wrong with, what is ticking her off? Why is she in a bad mood? What's happened? What's going on? She's not normally like, well, she is normally like, but sometimes she... <laughs> Do you know what? I only say these things publicly so that if ever they find my body, they've got evidence, all right? That's all it is. So we see that Haman, there's a, a far deeper motive than what is face value about Mordecai. When he, when he works out who Mordecai is, suddenly there's a change. Haman's reaction to Mordecai, uh, resistance is highlighted in his character. Haman is clearly an insecure man. Don't forget, he's been promoted to the second most highest person under the king in 127 provinces, and you're worried about one look, one, one Jewish person paying you a bit of homage. Seriously? What about all the millions that are paying you homage, and you're worried about the one that's not? You know? And what's the problem? Pride. Couldn't bear the thought that somebody would not bow down. Same as Satan. Pride. Couldn't bear the thought that God was above him, even though God created him. Couldn't bear the thought. And pride is one of the biggest killers of relationships, one of the biggest killers of good leaders in the church. Pride. I've met loads of people and you think, God, oh, man, they would make a brilliant leader, but you know the minute you give them leadership, straight to the head, they just go and blow it. So pride. Haman had an inflated opinion of himself. He probably thought of himself, why does this Jew not pay me honour? It showed his insecurity. See, when you're secure, if somebody doesn't or does say hello, it doesn't bother you. You think, well, hopefully all people would be nice, but you know, if you don't want to say hello, don't say hello. It's not the end of my world. I'm still going to go home and have me race dinner, wait for me. Do, do you know what I mean? It's not the end of my day because you didn't say hello. But for some people, I mean, and I probably wouldn't hear you being deaf anyway. It's probably why I live on a special zone of my own anyway. I'm just used to people ignoring me. They're not actually ignoring me, I'm just deaf and I don't hear them. Sometimes we've got to be content in our own success. Haman wasn't. See, he was successful, he'd become number two, promoted by the king. But he wasn't content in his own success. He needed everybody else to blow smoke up his nose about his success. It's pride. Be content with your success. Be content you got the job. Be content you learned to do whatever. Be content in yourself. Don't get yourself to a position where you need the approval of man. Yes, we're to encourage one another and that's right and that's proper. But you shouldn't be at the point that it affects your well-being if somebody doesn't pay homage to you as such. Haman's reaction is a bit harsh. It's a bit over the top. Kill him and wipe out all his people. It's a bit over the top. 
But we know about the long-standing hostilities. Haman's hatred to the Jews was probably just a manifestation from Satan. And sometimes we've got to ask, who is driving our thought pattern? Who's driving our thinking? You know, is, is this me, the flesh? Is this the enemy going on? Or is this the spirit? And I'm being led by the spirit. What, what's prompting these thoughts that I'm having? You know, and scripture says, take every thought captive. Weigh it up. Where's this thought coming from? You know? And if you're, if you're a person who suffers with insecurity, I, I encourage you to do that. You know? Don't be driven by insecurity. Take the thought captive. And we know that the church comes under attack. Revelation says it. Satan went out to attack the church. We're the church. So we know sometimes the way we feel can be a direct attack from the enemy. How do we overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. When the enemy comes, what did Jesus do? He began to manifest and speak the word of God into those situations. He said, for it is written. Satan comes back again. Jesus' reply, it is written. Satan goes off, comes back again. Jesus is like, it is written. You know, that's it. It's done. It's set in stone. Verse 7 tells us that Haman cast lots when he should put his plan into action. Since this took place in the first month, the casting of lots condemned the Jews. The Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. And that reminds us of God's sovereignty. Yes, you might make decisions, you might cast your lots, but every decision comes from the Lord. Remember that at the next general election. You know, we all vote, we all put things down on paper, but God is sovereign. It says that he puts those into power who are over us, heads of state. And sometimes it's to bless a country. And he puts somebody in power and that leader's fantastic and the country gets blessed. Other times it might be to punish a country. And he puts somebody in power and, and they bring that country to its knees in all different ways. But God is sovereign Amen? God is sovereign, ultimately. God is sovereign. Esther 3, verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people, he's like, oh, I just don't like him. He's so sleazy. He don't just come out and say, the Jews. You know, he's sleazy. He comes along and he sees the king. He says, well, there's a certain people dispersed and scattered amongst all the people in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from all those of the other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Can you see the manipulation? See, all he's worried about is destroying Haman and wiping the Jews out. So what does he do? He goes to the king, begins to manipulate the mind of the king. Oh, it's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. These people don't honour you. And he begins to plant seeds of doubt. He begins to plant seeds in the mind of the king to manipulate the king into taking action. It's not in the king's best interest. Suddenly, he doesn't say, look, this guy Mordecai, won't pay me homage, and I've got the ump, and I want to kill him. Instead, he manipulates the situation, says, well, it's not in your interest. You see, can you, can you can look back in life sometimes, you can see how we can be manipulated by people, the way they deal with things. If it pleases the king, again, that sly little snake, it, it, it's about himself, but yet he's trying to make it about, oh, if it pleases the king, 
Let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the man who carries out this business. Can you see it? Can you see what he's doing? He's just manipulating the situation. He's willing to pay and, and all that sort of thing to manipulate to get these Jews destroyed. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Wow. So Haman pretended to be doing this, for the king is manipulating the whole situation. The king probably had no idea and just trusted him and agreed to it. Just trusted him and agreed to it. Say, that's fine, I trust your judgment. He's got a wall over 127 provinces, okay, from, from the Middle East right out to India. So he's probably not worried. He's probably thinking, oh, I can't be dealing with somebody. You just sort it out. And we see Haman try to pay with his pieces of silver, just like the religious leaders did with Judas in the time of Jesus. And we see the pieces of silver coming out, trying to persuade. I've always said there's no such thing as a free meal, especially in the business world, right, Yom? There ain't no such thing as a free dinner. There's an agenda. It will come out somewhere across the, the evening. That agenda of somebody's will land on the table and they go, that's why they invite me. Because they want X, Y, or Z. And we, we had a lovely afternoon. We had Bruce and Marion around yesterday. We're sitting in our back garden and they've sat around for hours. It was really lovely, lovely time. I see Marion this morning. She's all sunburnt. She said, oh, we had a lovely time sitting in your garden yesterday watching the birds. She said, lovely. She said, in actual fact, I slept so well, I've not slept that good for months, literally. She said, I think it was the company. I said, no, I think it was all the weed my neighbours were smoking. <laughs> I think you were off your head. <laughs> and I'm not joshing either. Uh. But we see, just like the religious leaders, the pieces of silver coming out. Satan's the same today in the church as uh, the way you used Haman against Xerxes about the Jews, and we see certain things springing up all over the world, causing unrest in different people. And Xerxes gives Haman his signet ring. His signet ring was the stamp of his authority. Signatures are what we use now. You've got a signature. But back in the day, you didn't have a signature. You had a signet ring like this, and it was your own personal design. And that was as good as your signature. And when you passed this ring to somebody else, if I gave this ring to Mara, she now carries all the authority that I had because she's got that ring. It becomes her signature. <laughs> Caleb, get me a knife. <laughs> So once I hand over the ring, she receives the authority. So once Haman had the ring of the king, suddenly now he's got all the authority. He can do whatever he pleases and that ring would be dabbed into uh, wax and that ring would be put on the edit, which was the law. And that, that is it. It's as good as done. And that's what Haman was doing. Why? Because he got the king's signet ring. Now, what you've got to remember is when we carry authority, all authority that we carry is delegated from Christ Jesus. Amen? He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. But he delegated authority to you to work on his behalf 
So when you're casting out a demon, when you're healing the sick, when you're bringing a word of knowledge and wisdom and all these different things, it's not that you're so great and so full of power. It's in actual fact you are standing in the place of Jesus and he had delegated authority to you. But it's not your authority, it's his authority. Amen? Esther 3, verse 13. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all of the king's provinces with the order to destroy and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women, men, women, and little children, on a single day. Okay, so a letter, a law has been sent out that Haman has written with the delegated authority, he sealed it. The letters have gone out by dispatch right across the kingdom and on a single day they will wipe out every Jewish child, woman or man. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder all their goods, so the, the, the new law written in the name of the king is to kill all the Jews and take everything they own, all their property, all their livestock, whatever they have. How many times have we seen Satan trying to annihilate the Jews? We saw it a few weeks ago. Time after time from the Garden of Eden to Cain and Abel to the flood, to Moses, to, and so on and so on and so on. And now you're seeing it again. And this time it's written in law by a Persian king that all the Jews are going to be destroyed. And time and time again, there is an unending attack on the Jewish nation and it will not stop until Jesus Christ returns at Armageddon. That's the only time that will stop when Jesus Christ returns for his bride, in the book of Esther, we see it. With Pharaoh, we saw it. Ordered all the newborn baby boys to be killed. Moses survived. Book of Esther, we see it. Second World War, First World War. Six million Jews killed in concentration camps. In 1967, Egypt, Assyria and Jordan were thought to have prepared an army and the purpose of this army was to throw Israel into the sea. So it no longer existed. But the Arab plan backfired because God has a plan. And the plans of the enemy will always be thwarted. Don't matter how fantastic they are, how ingenious they are, if God's hand is on you, then the plans of the enemy will not befall you. Amen? Chapter 3, verse 14. A copy of the text of the edit was to be issued as a law and carried into every province and made known to all the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. Why? Because they couldn't understand it. Why is this taking place? They'd lived with the Jews day in and day out. They were fine. They were kosher. They were all right. There wasn't a problem. Why is the king now wanting to wipe out every Jewish person from across his kingdom? And they were bewildered. And even in his own city, they could not understand it. Why? Because this is not a decision the king would make in his own right mind. It is not. And sometimes we make bad decisions when we're influenced by wrong circumstances, by people, by hurt, that you're going to make a bad decision in those circumstances. That's why Paul says, judge yourself soberly. Because when you judge yourself when you're drunk, you're completely different. Because when you're drunk, you think you're good looking. When you're drunk... Oh, Grandma, suddenly, 92, thinks she can still do the blimmin' can-can. 
And she gets up to do the can-can. Instead, she doesn't she don't do the can-can. She says she does uh, uh, do the can-can. And ends up with a hip replacement or something. Because when someone's drunk, they end up with an inflated mindset of their own capabilities. Everybody who's drunk down the pubs, you see it. At the sporting occasion, they all turn into Rocky Balboa. Suddenly, they're all Tyson Fury. They can all fight all of a sudden, you know? They can all dance all of a sudden, and suddenly they're Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers or whatever it is, because they're not seeing things soberly. And in the cold light of day, or YouTube, when you see yourself, think, oh yeah, you know? Do things soberly. This was not a sober judgment. And even the king's own people were bewildered. It was beyond them. And if you see somebody doing something, or you hear a rumour or something, and you think, that is not like this person, then don't believe it. Check it out for yourself. Don't listen to it if it's third hand or, or fourth hand or whatever. When my, me and my children, when we were growing up, we used to play uh, Chinese whispers. And they loved it. Especially, we'd go out to a restaurant, we'd be in the restaurant, and they'd go, let's play Chinese whispers. Have you ever tried, played Chinese whispers with a deaf person? Yeah, they're having a white laugh. So they would sit at the table, and they would start their Chinese whispers, and then Mara would whisper to Leah, then Leah would whisper to Leah. By the time it got to me, I'm deaf. I can't hear what they're saying. And I'd come out with all this. They would be crying in the restaurant with laughter. And that's what happens in reality with gossip. It's Chinese whispers. It gets changed. It gets a little bit added or a little bit taken away or somebody's opinion added to it as well and it ends up a mess and it's nowhere near the truth and it just causes heartache and damage. And these people were bewildered. They could not believe it. Now the king sits down with Haman to have a couple of bevies. They're going to have a drink. They think they've done brilliant. This is brilliant. What good days work at the office. Lovely. The sun's out. Let's sit down and have a beer. Celebrate all our hard work. But the king has been deceived. He didn't really understand. He didn't see the man that Haman was. The citizens of his own people, or, or the citizens of his own empire, knew the Jews that lived amongst them. In actual fact, Mordecai was held in great esteem. And there's one massive problem with this plot. The king's wife is a Jew. The king's wife is Jewish. Esther was an orphan Jewish girl and the king fell in love with her and she is now queen and he's just ordered the assassination of every Jewish person of which his wife cannot escape. Wow. Now we're in a pickle. Now we've got a problem. If he had checked it out properly, he would have twigged straight away, well, hang on a minute... Haman, what are you doing, mate? Her indoors, the great and mighty oracle, like Marla, we're going to have trouble here. We can't do this. We're going to be in trouble. If I ordered the assassination of all French people, don't cheer, I'd be in trouble. Marla's half French. I did say French, not half Spanish. All right. So this decision is absolutely catastrophic because he's going to face rebellion by his own people in the city of Susa who are going to be bewildered and say, why is this happening? This is absolute madness. Secondly, he's going to have to kill her indoors. He's going to have to assassinate his own wife or allow her to be killed. So there is confusion about the situation. And again, all this came to pass in the natural. Why? Because of pride. Because one man would not bow down and worship. 
pay homage. See, that ticks off some people, because if you look at Satan, when he approached Jesus, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. There's a couple of problems there. Jesus already owned the kingdoms of the world. (laughs) He created the world. Amen? He didn't need to bow down. And Jesus would never bow down and worship anyone but God alone. Only the Father would be worthy of Jesus' worship. Pride. Be careful. Be careful of pride. Take your thoughts captive. Judge them. Where's it coming from? Why am I feeling like this? Is is that person really the problem or is it me? If you want favour, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And God will raise you up in due time. And sometimes we think God won't do it. Hey, forget about me. He will do it. He'll remember your faithfulness. Is pride driving you? Has pride ruined some of your relationships? First Peter 5, verse 5 says this. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because, why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Do you know what? If if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. You haven't got to get, got to get a, your own little soapbox. God will, God will redeem you. He can see you. If you feel that you're, you're not getting the favour, then check yourself. Ask yourself some questions. Amen?